Yes, uh, Father Ratuiste in uh, Father Bernetter here today, the rector, vice rector of Bishop White Seminary here in the Diocese of Spokane, as well as overseeing the Cor Christi program. For those who don't know, what is the Cor Christi program? Cor Christi program is Spokane's response to the new directive. Now it's it's actually seven years old directive of the the Holy Father calling for a renewal in priestly formation. And the priestly formation program has changed on a, on a very fundamental structure. In fact, the, the document that made it is, is called the Ratio Fundamentalis in Latin, and it means the foundational document, the guiding principles, if you will. And um, it's called for a, a complete overhaul of that in light of the new um, reality in which the world finds itself, you know, um, in 2023 now. And um, so the Core Christi program is the initial stage of formation for a, a young man coming to uh, discern a, a call to the priesthood. And so um, it is a, a year of, there's study, there's prayer, it's living in community outside of the the ordinary academic structures, uh, so they're not students at, at a, a university. They live in community, work on the streets, they pray together, live together, and study. And um, the whole question of this is, is God calling me to discern celibacy, the priesthood, and my archdiocese or my diocese? I think that's tremendous. Uh, and you mentioned the particular reality that we're facing today. Yeah. And I've heard, I, I think it was from you, Father, from one of you fathers, just talking about the way in which the, let's call it the human formation, mm -hmm. and the, the sure. like those foundation, you know, grace builds on nature, right. that there was more of that you could take for granted in, let's say, go back 10 years or 20 years, but the nature of the challenges that young people face today in the homes that they're living in today have just become increasingly difficult to experience a, a level of just call it good human formation i'll go back more than 10 or 20 it's actually more like 100 and years i love and it so Let's this go. is this is um you know <laughs> i know that there's a lot of questions about wh whom do i trust and how can i trust this person or that or this prelate or that well most people can trust fulton sheen you know, and Fulton Sheen, I would say, I think it was 1972, maybe it was 60 earlier. Um, his simple, bald quote is, Christendom is dead. And people say, what, what, Christendom? You know, no, we're still Christians. That's not what he meant. Not Christianity is not dead. It's very, very much alive. But the structures of Christendom, and this was back before many of, many of these, certainly any of these seminarians were alive, that the structures which Christendom, which a society which believes in God as a transcendent good and which sees human nature in a rather unified way um, as you know, and male and female, and that the, the bodily structure is corresponding to the, 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 the nature of, of a person, and that the things like the nature of law, the natural law, all of these things we could fundamentally agree on with other human beings, whether they were Muslim or atheist or, or Jewish or Catholic. All of that stuff fostered the development of things like cathedrals and hospitals and universities and Catholic schools and, and other things. And that simply doesn't exist on a widespread scale anymore. It's, and that's, I think we need to take that seriously that you cannot trust that all of the structures 
that have existed for hundreds of years maybe remain to be the, a valid, um, a, a, a beautiful and effective way of proclaiming the gospel. Because in, in many ways, they, they've gone the way of things like Harvard, you know, uh, or Yale, which is, these are confessional schools, which are very much historically bound to a particular Christian faith, which is not the case anymore. And so what Fulton Sheen said was that if you rely upon the structures, the external structures of the society as the meaning of faith, well then you're incorrect and you're, you're going to get what, um, you're going to be making a mistake. And, and so the faith, and now I'll go to Pope Benedict. Um, now that we can say Pope Benedict, we don't have to say Pope Emeritus anymore. Um, <laughs> he was Pope. And he talked about the, this, um, that the structures are good, but in reality, there's always needed a reform. And the reform that is needed is not the creation of a new structure, but the cleaning off of the things which encrust itself on, like a, cleaning the marble in Rome, you know? Um, that the beautiful structures are there, but some things get in the way. And so that's what has happened in our society. And we have to, the faith is still alive. It's very much, it has power. And these young men are still humans and discovering what it means to pray and to have faith and to respond to faith and to give oneself uh, as a man to a church and things like the virtues, the normal human virtues, those things are oftentimes denied, and not just saying that they're bad, but they just deny that they even exist. Um, and so we're reproposing Christianity. Um, many of you have read a book uh, by Monsignor Shea um, from the University of uh, Mary, you know, from Christendom to Apostolic Age. And, and that's what his point is as well. We're in an apostolic age, and we need priestly formation for an apostolic age is different. We can't rely that um, that they're going to be able to walk into a parish with, you know, with three other priests and have a structure that is already fully formed. It's like, <laughs> that's probably not the case. Yeah, I, I, the words that are jumping out to me that I think are words that Benedict, Pope Benedict, um, would emphasize would be culture. Yeah. And like that, all those structures, Christendom, it's about fostering this atmosphere that is laden with these ideals and, and sure. these moral values. And the word encounter, that if you just have structures and obedience to following commandments without the encounter, then you're just going to have an empty burden, a heavy burden on the shoulders of, of those who attempt to live out their faith. Exactly. Because on one hand, it could be an external uh, behavior. Like, I'm going to do these behaviors because they are the correct behaviors and they look good, maybe. Um, on the other hand, it can be reduced to an intellectual abstraction. Mm -hmm. it, we're, we're simply going to do the faith, the faith. We're going to do these things because they are correct and intellectually. Or on the other hand, they're emotionally satisfying. I, I believe because I feel I believe. But in reality, my feelings and my objective life are in contradiction <laughs> to the actual letter of, of the gospel. The, that's where we need to get back to the reality of an encounter with Jesus Christ who's alive and who meets me. And that, that encounter, I, it simply changes people, you know? Well, at Cor Christi, the heart of Christ, this right. makes me, I'm going to turn to Father Ratuiste here. Sure. So 
you are, you're here at Bishop White Seminary. You have a number of seminarians here in the Diocese of Spokane. How many of the men that you see coming through these doors come because of that sense of encounter versus maybe coming out of other reasons? Hmm. That's a good, good question, Tom. So to rephrase, uh, reiterate, say that the number of men coming through the doors of Corpus your um, entering seminary because of an encounter with Christ. And so I, I mean, it's interesting because I, I get to respond to this question from two sides as the current director of vocations um, and also as the vice director here um, at the seminary formation program here. And I would say that encounter truly is a, an essential component to that, right? It's the men have, we the, as a culture, we have moved beyond simply saying that priesthood is normal or that is it is expected. In some ways, one of my tasks is to help, as a vocation director is to renormalize the idea of priestly discernment and vocations. Um, how, however, it is at a point where these men have to stand up on their own in response to something that is mysterious, right? And I think that's a very crucial thing. One other way, you mentioned another reason that may draw people to seminary. I think it's perhaps a pursuit of value or meaning. And then this might be a pet theory of mine, but I can, I'm convinced I kind of hold out hope that as young men encounter the emptiness, the vacuousness of this culture, how they may see that the culture is increasingly inhospitable to them and to their masculinity, that they will want to seek an outlet of what does it mean to be a man? And then to, and, and the church pr pr proposes that an answer, you, you encounter your manhood, the fruition of who you're meant to be in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I, picking up on something you said, Father, um, some of the guys come in with a, a real encounter. It might be a, a beginning, an incipient encounter. Something happened at Steubenville Northwest or on a retreat or, or somewhere else at CYC or um, ICYC or something like that. And they're moved and it gets them off the dime. On the other hand, some of the guys come in, I see, who have have a lack of that, and they, and they they know that there's a desire, but they're they're searching for something that they sort of it's out there, and I know it's out there, and it seems to be this, even though I can't make sense of why he would choose me, but the the question arises, and I see both of them, wouldn't mm -hmm. you say? I would say so, and I think even for those men who may believe they have a very powerful encounter at at these uh, moments like Steubenville Northwest or CYC or who may come from a very solid foundation of faith that come to the seminary, if they have the heart and the openness to receive it, they will be, they have been and will be blessed all the more with a renewed and deep encounter with Christ. Yeah. To say like, I thought I was being faithful. I thought I was asking the right questions, but now I've, I've encountered that there's a new horizon that's opened up. Yes, uh, Father Ratuiste in uh, Father Burnett are here today, the rector, vice rector of Bishop White Seminary here in the Diocese of Spokane, as well as overseeing the Cor Christi program. So Carrie and I attempting to raise our nine kids. I say attempting. <laughs> we're underway. It's like practicing Catholic. You know, we're, we're practicing. <laughs> That's good. I like that. So, uh, you know, we do our family prayer. And what we want for our kids is that encounter, right? Mm -hmm. We can get them to mass, we can do their family rosary, mm -hmm. we uphold mm -hmm. you know, the ideals of faith, but we come up against the reality of the gift that if Christ encounters my kids, it's a gift. You mm -hmm. know, We can set them up, we can just help hopefully dispose them or ready them or get them in that place, but 
it's a gift. Yeah. And so there's a, a kind of powerlessness there that we parents yeah. face around that. And so it's like turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, please, you want to meet them even more than we want you to meet them. And we know you've made them for yourself, for that communion. Please break through, break through. And so I know that that's a longing in the heart of every parent that's listening. I want my kids to have that sense of encounter. So even just to, we're going we're gonna to dive back into the seminary in Quote Christi in a minute, but talk to them about something that you'd recommend for them to go deeper into their own encounter with Christ or to help their families go deeper into an encounter with Christ. Obviously, sure. Um, I think we start with the principle that you cannot give what, the, what you do not have. Right? And so I appreciate, Tom, you asking us to just speak with, to the parents directly about what can you... Um, mother and father, what you can do in your own relationship with, with Christ so that you can give from the fruits and the graces there. And I think it is one of those things where that daily, even se almost secret personal prayer with the Lord, because uh, I was actually, um, because your, your children notice and they notice when you do things, when it may seem like it's not for display, right? And there's, a, there's, a, there's an integrity there. I remember talking to some of my seminarians who I was asking them, how, how did you encounter prayer? And one, uh, one man was talking about how he would know that his dad would be getting up early in the morning because he could hear him rustling around. And when, he would, when, he find, when the young man in high school or earlier would get out of bed, he would see his dad in his prayer chair very faithfully every day. And I think that makes a very big impression. So in that personal practice, that discipline, the fidelity. A second thing I would do want to offer is a sense of truly praying with in a very, in a, and allowing yourself in a vulnerable way to pray with your children. And, and this might be really for um, children of, of an older age, maybe high school or, or more, if they have the maturity to handle this. One practice actually shared with some of my seminarians here at Bishop White Seminary was a shared group Lexio Divina and very simple methodology. Read the scripture one time, pray for about two minutes, and everyone shares one word, no commentary, that's it. Very easy to share. And then you read script for a second time, pray, uh, reflect for two minutes or so, then share a phrase, no commentary. Repeat that a third time, and then we get into some discussion. And then for, after that discussion, everyone pause and just write down one resolution, one thing that you think that God has inspired you to, to do based on that. And that was a very powerful thing in among our seminarians, and we've been doing a lot of prayer together already. I can imagine how powerful that can be in, in a family setting. That's awesome, Father. Give, give um, parents that are going to be like, okay, where do I start? The Bible's pretty big. Yeah. Do I start yeah. in Numbers where they have that list of <laughs> names? Where do I begin? No. No. <laughs> and not, not, yeah, and right. not Leviticus yeah, either. That's no, right. No. Yeah, don't read about the laws. Come on. I, I would say start with, start with what is narrative, but with the Gospels, mm -hmm. right? And if... And, yeah, start, start there. Gospel of uh, Mark, Gospel, I love Gospel it. Mark, yes. Simple stories Simple, right at the beginning, right. launch out of the gate, mm -hmm. let's go. I think uh, St. Luke is wonderful in, in so far as, yep. a, as a physician, healing, forgiveness. We get the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, obviously St. John with this exalted sense of the word becoming flesh, uh, and St. Matthew, who has a, another very robust uh, narrative as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. Father Burnett. I would recommend to parents, what I recommend to, well, frankly, everyone. Um, it starts with faith. And faith, that encounter with Christ, which is, not, which is more than simply a, an assent to a, a doctrine or a creed or a tenet or a moral practice, but 
It's an ascent to a person. It's an entrusting oneself to a person. So boiling that down to a very simple thing, say yes first, and then ask for clarity. Because one of the things about our culture for the last 500 years is that it wants to know stuff before it, it consents. Mm -hmm. And that, it's, that's not the attitude of Mary yeah. in a nutshell. Um, Mary said yes, but how? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Like, you're going to have to guide me through this because that makes no sense. Um, but, but yes is the fundamental thing. And I would say the same thing for parents. Most times I find with parents that they're concerned about their children, they want the best for their children, but oftentimes that can lead to wanting to control the their children and the, the situations in which their children That's purely theoretical father that all is, theoretical it, it never but really there actually might be in fact some <laughs> some parent out there who might benefit from the that. helicopter yeah, parent. Exactly. or the drone go. parent you know <laughs> which I like that. Are in advance of the helicopter more, parent. more than helicopters nice you know um but the, the point is, is that if i can say jesus i trust you and i trust that you love my child my son or my daughter more than i do infinitely more and that is a very scary, mm -hmm. terrifying thing, especially in light of the world, um, of, of the situation in which it finds itself. But when a young man can say that, I, I trust you, and now I will ask for clarity, that's, that's part of the way you can verify. It's like, am I being duped? Because the, the church, and certainly here in the, in the seminary, um, we're constantly proposing them. Do you see what's happening? Do you, do you understand? We're not imposing this. Use your own, make your judgment. You know, the, the Catholic education you men mentioned, the document of the, the U.S. bishops from 1974, I think it was, um, excellent document called the Catholic School. And it's defined Catholic education as a critical reflection upon culture with a judgment guided by faith and retaining what is good a critical in, in integration of culture, faith, and life. Reflecting on what is, and everything is there, whether it's science, math, you know, literature, or whatever. Reflecting on it in light of the, of the faith and retaining what is good and incorporating it, incorporating it into our lives. So. That's awesome. Today in the program, we are talking about Catholic education and reflecting on the reality of Cor Christi and Bishop White Seminary. Let's turn to the seminary for a moment. So we mentioned that it's a, you mentioned that it's, it's kind of we're in a cultural desert when it comes to faith, post-Christian world. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a time of a new atheism where there, there are nuns and duns. Have you heard about the duns, right? Those that are done with faith. Not just those that are, they have no, they no longer identifying, but those that are done even looking. At least that's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So that's our world. Now in the midst of that world, we have young men who are standing up and putting themselves forward to say, I am going to discern being a priest and I'm going to walk towards the priesthood and I'm going to become a priest because I'm called by God to do that. That's a pretty radical act today. So I'd love to hear some of the good news that there are still young men doing this. There are, there are young men doing it and they're fine young men and there are young women doing it, not for the priesthood, but there are, there's young people are still being called and they're still responding. Um, the challenge that we face is that they're coming up from a culture that is less capable of, of forming them in the principles of the faith, the basics of the faith, um, 
you know, we used to joke, you know, just on a catechetical level, you know, that we got, you know, when I, I grew up in the 70s, you know, cut and paste for Jesus, you know, and, or, <laughs> you know, or the CCD was the cut. Ultimate catechism, yeah, let's go. The CCD was cut, color, and draw, you know, and so <laughs> oh, yeah, that, all that kind right? of stuff. Well, that has an effect on yeah. on the generations who who follow that mm -hmm. because people are, like Father said earlier, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And so without any malice, I think, in many cases, it's simply we didn't know. Or on a very practical basis, how do you know that... What effect Jesus has on my life, on the fact of the resurrection. And so these young men are coming up and they're saying, I, I think I want, I think I'm being called to this. And so what they need, and, and this is, thanks be to God, we have this new um, mandate from the Vatican to, to really address that. Um, it's Bishop White Seminary is a four year college seminary. And it's spinning off at first year. So the propedeutic stage, that's a fancy word for introductory, and we're calling it Cor Christi, means that the first stage of formation is not going to class. It's not simply learning how to serve mass or do other things. It's asking, how do I be a man? How do I be a Christian? And then the next stage is I, I'm being called to be a disciple a disciple of Jesus. And then only then can I then go get formed, actually trained to be a priest. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is we're seeing these young men coming with, I mean, they're just products of the culture. So very much um, tied to the screens and the electronics because that's how the culture is. And we need to break them of that. They have a, um, a way of of, of thinking that kind is... Kind of detoxing, huh? A, a major detox. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's... They see the... As as we all do, we all have a... Uh, the, the screen has a tremendous power over us, you know, and we can see That's it... That's, again, purely theoretical. You know, we know some people like that, but... I have a phone in my hand. Hold on, let me check my phone. I have a phone in my hand as I'm speaking. I think someone <laughs> so, texted me, so I better, I better exactly. pause what we're doing and check on that. Exactly. And so... <laughs> Like Father can speak to this as a vocation director too. Your your experience of these young men. Sure, definitely, and also as Father Bernard was saying that in the collapse of Christendom and just the the dearth of good catechesis in past generations, that's definitely had an impact on how men are able to even know and let alone live the faith. But also we see even aside from any religious demographics, it's just culturally we have this prolonged extended adolescence, so that men. Or boys who may be chronologically 18 years of age are probably close to maturity to uh, boys who are 14 in, in past generations, right? And so we have this interesting conundrum, right? Because on one hand, people may say, well, don't, shouldn't these men be more mature? Shouldn't they have you know, it more, themselves more put together in order for them to actually ask the question of God is calling me to the priesthood? But then what is the solution? Is the solution that, oh, we're just going to throw you back to the culture that's been malforming you for the past 18 years, come back to us, in four more years after you've gone through college and you've probably gone into debt. Uh, and so a program like Core Christi is just really seeking to step into that gap to provide a solution to that conundrum. Because yes, we have um, young men, boys um, with uh, adult bodies, right? Who are seeking seeking something good. But there, and, and because of the culture, there's some woundedness, right? That requires some healing, but also just the need for the development because of the prolonged adolescence, and to be able to provide that environment for them that is truly grounded in Christ as they're seeking to conform them, right, to the heart of Christ as in Core Christi. Okay, so this gets me thinking: Is there 
Uh, do you have any sort of common features that you encounter regularly in the guys that are coming forward? You know, that's, that's a very good question. And I would say that in terms of like my conscious ability to reach out to people, I, there's some predictability, right? Larger families, families are being more intentional. At the same time, though, God surprises by calling men out of the woodwork from seemingly left field, right? And so even looking at the young men who are in just, you know, look at the six young men in the Core Christie program, we have men, a man who is from a rather large family who is in a classical school, others who are large families homeschool, um, some men who've experienced great brokenness actually in their home life. Um, and. And so there is quite a variety there. It's really hard to, I mean, yeah, for me to pin I, down. I would say the same thing. The, it's, it's interesting because we have a gamut. In six guys, we have the whole gamut. And then if you go into the Bishop White men, the gamut's just the same sort of, it's, there's no, I'm looking for kind of like consistent data points or themes or whatever. It's like, nope. <laughs> God big, calls sovereignly and, and, and yeah, the biggest, young men respond. Yeah, the biggest thing that... And, I, and I, I've been a priest now almost 23 years. The fundamental difference that I've seen is the men who ask the question. If they come in asking a question, that's they're the ones who stay, and they'll get a good answer. The ones who already know, <laughs> they never stay. Wait a minute. Guys come into the seminary thinking they know everything? Exactly. Really? And, and I would this, ask... This, that's actually you, the major seminary. <laughs> yeah. I would ask all of you married people, you know, like, if you go into marriage thinking, I know all this, yeah. you're like, how did that work for you? you right. Know, it's like, it's well, like, one of my standard not. jokes these days is that the best talks I ever gave on how to raise teens was before I had any. <laughs> Oh, and then as soon as I had teens, I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I saying to people? You learn the questions oh, later. by going through it. Exactly. Yes. And so yeah. that, that's what I see. Is a, is a man who, or a young man, if he's asking the question, and oftentimes, most often, the ones that are most surprised, they're like, why am I here? <laughs> why, why did you think you called me? Because I don't really want this. Mm -hmm. I, but I can't deny the fact that I'm feeling these things and i i just i need to get some clarity because and that that has the mark of authenticity so normal everybody's got stuff right everybody's got a life uh, and nobody's perfect and so if a man is is open enough to be able to say could this be a vocation i mean mm -hmm. can you do anything with this um like really can you know from me that has surprised, and I think Matthew was surprised, you know, the tax collector. I think Peter was certainly surprised and a bit dismayed. And, <laughs> you know, depart from me, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. And there, there's a surprise factor that Jesus ambushes you right in the middle of a like, work day for Matthew, you know. <laughs> well, again, I'm talking with Father Dan Barnett and Father Kyle Ratuiste, the rector, vice rector of Bishop White Seminary, and also uh, the, in the leadership of the Core Christi program here in the Diocese of Spokane. One of the things that I see is that the seminary is not just a place where seeds are being sown into the lives of the men who come here, but it's meant to be leaven for the diocese. And I have a couple of ways that I see that happening, actually concretely in my own family's life. The first is we've got seminarians out at St. Mary's. Father Lewis is really great about yeah. get those seminarians out here and we love our seminarians. Yeah. So being able to interact with them, what do we want? We want our kids to see 
young men who are stepping forward in a way that's generous, in a way that's even heroic, to do something that's not just noble, but do something that is holy, that is God-honoring. We want our kids around young men like that. And then secondly, um, the gift of being able to come and join you for Sunday Vespers, an hour of adoration and Compline, so evening prayer, night prayer, sung, with an hour of adoration, it is such a gift to our family to have the oh, the ability to just to come and pray with you. So I just raised up this idea that the seminary and a program like Cor Christi can be leaven in the diocese and is leaven in the diocese. Is that overstated or how do you see that happening? I think it's absolutely true. You know, Bishop White Seminary is the only seminary in the state of Washington. It's one of two college seminaries in the West. And California doesn't have one. Um, so the other one is Mount Angel, and that's attached to a monastery, So, yeah. which is good, but it's it's in a monastery in Oregon. And so, you know, the institution... All, what's a minor seminary for folks that aren't aware? So uh, seminary formation takes... Um, you start with... Now you start with a propedeutic stage, Cor Christi, and then after that you study philosophy. That'll take three years, maybe four. And then you move on to study theology and, and in the configuration stage. And then there'll be a, a final stage of six months in a parish. So a minor seminary, what they would call is that first stage of studying philosophy. That's what Bishop White is. Yeah, and some people call it a college seminary. So mm -hmm. just think, yeah, exactly. folks, when your kids graduate high school, going to the seminary in college, in your college years, is an option. And I think a lot of parents have kind of lost sight of that. Uh, yes, and I think that's something that's um, a good thing to keep, keep track of. And to know that conversations about seminary can really be very relevant for those young men who are juniors in high school. And a point of clarification is that with this launch of the Core Christie program, is that it the man does not actually go straight into uh, the rigors or the pressures, as it may be, of college undergrad studies, right? And that's actually one of the big liberating factors of the Core Christie program is that it, at full implementation, this will be actually spread over a 12-month period to give men that breathing room for encountering the Lord in prayer and fraternity and to, to work the mind, exercise the mind intellectually, but not in a way that's overly burdensome or pressure, like going for the grades, writing all the papers, but to form the mind, as as St. Paul says, to be renewed by the uh, by the renewal of our minds. And I know talking to some, some men, that's actually a very liberating thing. Like, I, I'm actually apprehensive about this, um, about yeah. studies, but I, I think I could make that step forward because it's not quite scary. That said, we're being set up in Cor Christi to, to essentially launch a man into his remaining three years of, of, of what would be college um, undergrad formation in philosophy. Well, and one one of the important ways that I also believe that Cor Christi and Bishop White are a gift to the Diocese of Spokane, and really to Northern Idaho as well. Mm -hmm. It's yes. to the, I would say it's to the West. We serve nine dioceses across the West. Wow! So um, we've got bishops from Fairbanks, Seattle, Spokane, Boise, Portland, Baker, Orange, Oakland, San Francisco, and now Reno has a you know said they would like to send guys here, and um, maybe in the future others. So it's it's uh, we have guys all the way from Orange here and um, all over the place. That's tremendous. Yeah. Well, and when I think about it being a gift, well, the men coming from these young men coming all the way from here is that it raises before the minds uh, and hearts of of anyone who encounters them the reality of vocation that we all have a call mm -hmm. that God planted us in this moment in history to become saints, fulfilling a God given mission. Exactly. 
And we lose sight of that because we're busy, we're distracted, we get dispersed into many things. And so the the gift folks that Bishop White and Cor Christi is to the Diocese of Spokane ought not to be um, unappreciated or undervalued. Now, I'm gonna shift to something because um, you all uh, didn't didn't like the winner of Powerball kind of donate all the money you need to kind of take care of all the needs for in perpetuity. Is if that only right? that was the case. I, I, <laughs> I missed the, that you Powerball. Missed that one, yeah. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Normally, I would be buying my so, ticket every week. No, yeah. <laughs> I didn't win, but I didn't buy a ticket, so <laughs> it's okay. Real. So, this is a new launched program. You've got a beautiful building. What is going on there, and do you have a financial need? Yes, we do have a financial need. Absolutely. Um, so Bishop White's seminary itself, we're, we're right across the street from Gonzaga University, and this building is built and paid for by the generosity of people here in the Diocese of Spokane, thanks be to God. Um, Father Connell did a wonderful job in, in making it. But when this new program became a mandate and it was given you know, several years to, to implement, it became very clear here in our real estate neighborhood that the land is, is a premium, right? And so, um, but there, but a convent opened up a, not even a block away. And um, so it was a matter of, we had to make a move on it at that time. And it was clear that this was what God wanted. But at the same time, it was literally the day before the pandemic hit that we <laughs> we started this wow. thing, and so then we we signed we signed the the papers on it on October seventh, our Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, um, in twenty twenty one, and we have to pay for it. So we have to pay for the building. It's a nineteen fifties convent because one of the requirements of the the program is that it be distinct, connected to but distinct from. A, an actual seminary where there's philosophy being studied, and so that's a that's a tall order, you know, um, and so especially in our neighborhood. So we had to buy a building, and that building has to be renovated. It was until very recently full of asbestos with tile and, and friable asbestos on the pipes and all that other stuff, and the plumbing is being replaced and um, electrical, etc., insulating the windows and all all that. Um, but then the the program has to be um, supported as well. So one of the elements of our program is that I'm going to be moving over there. And so we have to get another priest on faculty and there has to be now a, a counselor, which we have as well so that it can meet, in a, you know, with the young men. And then there are other things like they're not going to college. So we're teaching some of those courses in house. And that means we're going to have to pay a teacher. And, um, this is, we're not talking about, you know, um, uh, the Taj Mahal, it's going to be just um, the, you know, McGivney Hall. <laughs> so, and that's the name of it is McGivney Hall. So our campaign um, is to to do three things. It's to pay for the building, to renovate it, and to pay for the initial program costs, which while we get this program up and running and we get more people, more dioceses involved, and we uh, have the, that thing full, once it's full, it will tend to support itself. Mm -hmm. But until that point, we, it, it takes, um, so it takes a lot of support. And I, I would say if, to boil it down to three things, we need number one, we need, we need men, we need young men, seminarians. So, so in order to get that prayers, it really that's prayer. We need to storm the heavens from our dioceses and from the rest of the West. Um, number two, 
we need some funding to get the building done. We're in the renovation phase right now, and we're trying to um, move in in August. And we'd like to be able to finish the renovations, like all four phases, instead of having the continual um, program of trying to always update and always asking people for money. Um, and that's going to take about $1.4 million to get the renovations done and the building paid for. And then there's going to need to be a, a program development cost that is to sustain us. So if you think about a school that had uh, a preschool through eighth grade, and then the preschool and the kindergarten went off and they started their own, well, then the eighth graders graduate and the school doesn't have a preschool or a kindergarten. So they're in, they don't, they go a year without new students if everybody comes back. Well, that's the effectively what's happening with Bishop White. We've, this year we're spinning off that first year. And, um, so we, we need more men in there, which is ultimately why we're here. So prayer is at the core of the whole thing, but we also need some money. <laughs> well, I'm excited because, um, folks, a lot of folks listening are in Seattle right now. They're in Yakima. They're around the state of Washington hearing this in Northern Idaho. Mm -hmm. So Court Christie is something that's open to guys beyond the diocese of Spokane. That's right? correct. That's very exciting. Yeah. And so I, I think that would, I, I think you can have guys pounding on the doors. I mean, when you hear that young men can come and grow in their own human formation, spiritual formation, and sort of kind of cleanse the vessel so that they can be in a place to discern well, am I called to be a priest? That is a huge gift. Yeah. I can't say the number of times married men have asked if they could join the Court Christie program. Can I, can I my family move in? <laughs> How about couples? <laughs> you know, I wanted to go back to, to uh, something we said at the very beginning. Um, this is a a place to ask a question. And so the, the, the question for discernment for these young men is not, am I called to be a priest? That's not what Cor Christi asked. The question is, is God calling me to enter the seminary? Is he calling me to discern the priesthood? That's a great distinction. That is a, and it's very important. So if you think about a guy coming in out of high school and he's thinking about priesthood, well, that's like a kicking a 200-yard field goal. You've got eight years, nine years worth of formation. It's like, no, we're not asking you to answer that. But you can ask and you can come to an answer by saying, by March, with providing the, the, the right means, which are spiritual disciplines of a media fast, six days a week, and... Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Say what you just said again out loud for folks, because the parents are like, they, that just flew right past them. Yeah, a media fast. So the men, we have... They're not allowed. They're off their screens from Tuesday through Sunday. So they don't have Sunday. smartphones. No smartphones. No, smartphones, no smart watches. No, no, they're not. No in their, laptops. No desktops. No, no, they're in a, their desks. They have watches, like regular watches. They might desk analog version, but they can have a digital watch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no phones. And that is they have, so awesome. I have a phone. Literally, we have a phone down the hall. So they, they go down and they call their parents. And so the fourth commandment is still in, in effect. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they talk to them on the phone. And they're not, they're not on the screens all the time. Right. And so they, they're learning how to... They're not a cyborg. Take notes with, yeah. with pen and paper and uh, listen and, and see and, and encounter. And, so, and it's freeing them up. And, and when you talk to them, you'll... 
Well, what do they say? What do they say when they, you know, like probably going in, it's probably like, what? And then terror, terror, terror <laughs> and, yeah, and true detox. But. Right. And, and, and remarkable, I think in the first few days after that initial shock and the detox, men were actually saying, wow, I don't think I've slept this well in years. Like this is the best sleep I've had in my life. And I could, I, it's, it's, I'm calm and relaxed. So it's a good initial fruit. Exactly. And they, they like it. And some, in fact, some came back from the Christmas break saying, I want to, I don't want to use my phone until spring break when I have to go home. Like, so I'm not going to even do it. I, can I, do I have to use, do I have to use my computer? Because I'm much more free. And, you know, one of the other element, elements of our program is we really want them to encounter and enter into the gaze of Christ. So we go out on the streets and it's called Miserando. And on Tuesdays, um, we go out downtown Spokane and we walk around for three hours and talk to the homeless and uh, just encounter them. And there must be some great stories there. It's tremendous. Yeah. It, it, and they've been doing this weekly since September. So during you know the cold snap, going out and, and talking to homeless people and seeing, and they come home and then they're like, you know, I'd never been grateful for a bed before. But now I have, a, I, I recognize the gift that I have a bet. And because they were talking to somebody who's sleeping in 12 degree weather with a blanket on the street and they, they know their names and um, they're, they're handing, it's just very, it's, it's beautiful. We come and we talk and, and the men, the, the whole idea of that is to encounter the gaze of Christ, not only as a recipient, but also so that others can encounter that gaze of Christ through us. And for example, one young man, um, very shy, but going out, he uh, had studied sign language in high school. And we were at the bus station. We just walk around and they're like, oh, how do we start the conversation? I said, well, it's just like it's going to be in a parish. You, you look for an I and then you nod and then they nod back and then you say hello and they say hello and <laughs> you just find the doorway in and, and you're just talking to them. And most of them say, what, what do you want? What are you doing here? We're just talking. And they're like, oh, okay. And this one guy saw some woman and she was gesticulating and, and it looked like she was on drugs or something and maybe she was. But then he recognized that she was doing sign language. So he's like, he started signing to her. And it was just, how are you doing? What's your name? How's your day going? And I think how many people have in Spokane gone up to the homeless person and spoken in sign language to this to a person? How lonely mm -hmm. that person must have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, that whole idea, I'm ex I'm received, right? right? Just that, that I've been received by you because yeah. you can speak to me in a way that I can understand. That's exactly. so powerful. It's and it's it's moving for these young men. They they yeah. they're just. Yeah, well, that's transformative. Changed. I mean, yeah. you talk about conversion. We're recording this on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. I'm with right. Father Dan Barnett, Father Kyle Ratuiste here in the program. And we're doing these reflections on the importance of formation and education. Parents, you are called to form and educate your kids, form and educate them in the faith. And we're talking today about the gift that Bishop White Seminary is and Cor Christi is. Um, Father, you mentioned $1.2 million to... $1.4 million is what we need by the end of March to be able to s secure that... All four phases of the of the the building will be renovated and paid for, okay. so that we can say, okay, um, that's what we need. And if we don't have that, well, then we'll. Our goal is make it habitable by by August, so that the 
the plumbing will be ready, the, the windows will be in. And so let's imagine folks, some folks are listening to this and they're like, I wanna learn more, I wanna get closer in. Um, and I, I'm, I have the ability not only to pray, but make a financial gift. Sure. Can someone become more familiar with the program, can walk the ground, see the building, yes. and, and yes. all of that? Because I think folks, they love to get their hands on it, you know? Yes. The first thing I would suggest is bishopwhitesem.org. That's B-I-S-H-O-P, white like the color, S-E-M. Yeah. Bishopwhitesem.org. Bishopwhitesem.org. Correct. Okay, you go to that site, and then what happens? And it'll, you'll, you can see right there on the, on the opening banner, Core Christie program, and then they can watch a video. They can see that. If they want to tour the building or they want to come here and, and visit, absolutely. There's the phone number at the bottom of the page there. Call, and um, we'll be glad to arrange a tour, answer questions as need be, and um Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm also imagining that there are some folks, again, maybe they're in Yakima, maybe they're in Seattle, and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, my son might be a, a fitting candidate for the Core Christi program. Father Ratuiste, what do they do? Sure. And referring back to what Father Burnett mentioned, some of the key questions that the men would ask here is, is God calling me to celibacy and priesthood in service of my diocese or archdiocese? And something to clarify is that when men go to seminary, they have to be for two diocesan seminary, they are sponsored by a diocese, right? And so, and more often than not, it's for a young man leaving home from high school, going going out into the world and maybe going on to seminary, he would apply with his home diocese. And so that's something that, um, so, to, so each diocese has a vocation director or, or team of vocation directors to help these men in that process. And so that would be the, the first like uh, step there to make contact with your own local vocation director, whether it be, um, I know, um, Father Justin Ryan in Seattle, Father Nathan Dale in Boise, Yakima is, I think, Father Felipe Pulido, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's, that's so exciting. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Yes, uh, Father Ratuiste and uh, Father Burnett are here today, the rector, vice rector of Bishop White Seminary here in the Diocese of Spokane, as well as overseeing the Core Christi program. So um, one of the things I'd love to, to mention is that you're talking about creating a, a rule of life, right? So even it's just an, an order of the day, right, that, mm -hmm. that will allow the, these young men to come in. Um, it, it feels like that's one of the, the gifts that Quo Christi offers to young men is like, how do I get a discipline of life going that incorporates faith at the center and nurturing my relationship with God? I think that that's a big challenge, again, for, for laity and for families that want to institute that kind of thing in their home. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is a valuable thing to focus on as families to help foster vocations? Most definitely. And one of the 
key themes, I think, being with Core Christie and with just the seminary formation in general, is being able to step out of the busyness of the world, step out of that rat race. Uh, one of the authors have been quite instrumental in our thinking here, um, and, and that the seminary really resonated with is uh, Joseph Pieper, especially his, his essay on Leisure of the Basis of Culture. And this idea that which is so so counterintuitive to our westernized American sentiment is that that prayer does have value, right? And oftentimes we we don't give it the time of day because we see it as unvaluable. We see it as unproductive. However, in some ways, that's precisely the point: is that it, instead of being productive in the view of the world, it actually unites us to well, the source of all that is, with the God who loves us and calls us to holiness. And to then transcend the workaday world, to get out of that rat race, even for that those few minutes every night or every morning as a family, to say we are worshiping God together because it is good that we are alive, it is good, and that we have been saved by Jesus Christ, and and this is worthwhile, and this is actually will form the, this core of our identity of who we are. And I think so being able to do something like that is so so crucial. Yeah, I would agree. And and um, two things I would I would add. One, the rule of life, oftentimes that can be interpreted as rules of life. And, uh, <laughs> That's and a I very think good point. the regula vitae, and you know, of course, to is to use the Latin is is an order of life. It's not a bunch of rules to be, you know, obeyed and, and do's and don'ts. It's an ordered way of living so that we can receive the grace of God and correspond and respond to it in a in an appropriate fashion. And so Yes, parents have to have a rule of life. They have a bedtime for their kids. They have, and that changes as they get older, and, and what they can eat and what they can do, etc. Depending on the person's freedom and capacity, all that. Um, well, the, part of that rule of life has to be a place for worship and a place for leisure and a place for um, and work as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what the first thing I would suggest is just keeping in mind. Um, and the second is a book by Father Roger Landry called Rule of Life. He does a very good job of breaking it down, and there's some very practical things. Like sometimes, I mean, young men, they need discipline, mm -hmm. you know, and it, he will break it down. Okay, so how do you, when do you pray, and what does that look like, and what's an appropriate thing for a high school senior to, to do? Um, All right, I've got two last questions. Mm -hmm. You've been very generous with your time, fathers. The first one is about spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And the second one is about um, movement of God, like the positive mm -hmm. sign. So who wants spiritual warfare, the demonic, and who wants the new springtime? I'll take the first, and Father can <laughs> I'll end with the second. Yes. And um, I would say they're not unrelated. And in fact, part of the spiritual warfare, part of the, the attack of the enemy is to distract us. It's a major tactic of his. And he either wants to be like the center of attention or be hidden and both are incorrect but our center of attention even in and especially in spiritual combat is not the enemy the our, our the combat is to keep our fix and our focus on christ that's what the combat is it's it's not to um go out and duke it out with spirits or you know go hunting um you know it's the bellicose nature of a lot of folks that get into a spiritual combat. I think that's that's wrong, and it falls into their the enemy's um, enemies plural the their tactic, which is to get us to bicker and fight. And it's, he's very successful in that, and we see that all the time. And I think that our primary battle 
is to keep a hold of Christ and keep him center. And if that is not the center of our battle, well, then we've already lost because we can't go off and fight the enemy in order to go have Christ at the center. <laughs> it doesn't work that way mm -hmm. because that's just another tactic to get us to take our gaze off of Christ. So, and this, my authority in that is Lorenzo Scupoli, you know, the, the, the spiritual combat. It's simply God is working on us to keep our life in order and keep our eyes focused on him. And the enemy is doing all he can to, to distract us from that. And that's why I think we can end with what Father Ratuista will talk about, which is the beauty and, and the, the focus on the good news. Definitely. Uh, and I think in line with that, I would just to simply say that, that God calls, right? And, and in terms of signs of good news, it's indications of the stories, our experiences, what we observe of God calling unmistakably in people's lives. And I think first and foremost, we must think of our own life, our own testament. Why are we following Christ or seeking to follow Christ? What was that transformative encounter or encounters or period of life that has brought us to where we are? But then also to recognize that God is, continues to call maybe very surprising ways. I mean, in my relatively short ministry as a priest, some seven years going on eight, uh, to, to see and recall how God has called people in ways that I thought they were they were lost. Right? I thought that they were they were not paying attention to when I was seeking to engage with them. That they were just kind of passively following along with their spouse in the pews. But God was working their hearts in a mysterious way. And praise be God, I've been grateful to see His effect in, in a fruition in some of these stories, and to see these people continue in faith. And then to come back to this idea of you know, of the topic of seminary as a vocation director, I've been very blessed to see that firsthand. I just want to share again with the people of God listening um, on the airwaves today that God is calling. God calling is calling these young men. And right now I'm working with six young men who are in a good position to apply and possibly be accepted for seminary this uh, this coming um, coming fall. Three of them who could be good candidates for Cor Christi. We're not 100% certain, right? God, we're, we, we have yet to reach the end of that journey, but God is calling. And to expand that out further, to think that if, in the Diocese of Spokane, with about 100,000 Catholics, three high school men are considering going to seminary. And we expand that out to the hundreds of thousands, the millions of Catholics in the West that, that Bishop White Seminary is hoping to serve. And we could, we could kind of extrapolate the number of men who could be coming and seeking to fill these rooms at Cor Christi and Bishop White, which is a beautiful thing to ponder as we cooperate with God's grace. So final word, Father Barnett and Father Ratuiste. I want to say thank you to not only to you for making this possible, but but to ask really again um, for those three things: the prayer, most especially to uh, Blessed Michael McGivney, that he um, his intercession over these young men who are here now and who will come. Um, we also do need uh, we do need financial support, so um, that as well. If if God is inspiring you to to do that, um, and and especially to to pray for the. The success of this program and to and to commit to helping it in, in that way. And that's bishopwhitesem.org. Yes. Bishopwhitesem.org. Yeah, and the number if you want to call is 509-313-7100. Look it up, folks. 509-313-7100. Awesome. Father Ratwiste, you got the final word. Okay, well again, thank you again for being able to have us on and to share the beautiful things that have been taking place. And maybe just simply a very simple invitation to join us for solemn Vespers and Holy Hour 
Sunday evening, 645, whenever the seminarians are here, it's open to the public. Be beautiful to have you join us in prayer. It's amazing. It is just amazing. You will love it. Thank you so much. That's Father Jim Barnett, Father Kyle, to his state. God bless you. Thank you, Tom.